Welcome back to Thirsty the Podcast. I'm Laura Koo. And I'm Heather McGee. Today we're asking, is your self-care routine a joke? Okay, so something I think a lot of people know about, and probably listeners of this website, also if you're of a certain age. So Sex and the City has been experiencing a reboot on HBO, which I think most everybody knows. I have not watched season two yet. I've been watching some other things. And I know you've gotten started on it, Laura. I just have to say out loud, back in the day, I was a huge Sex and the City fan. I had every single season on DVD. Like I would go out and buy it from the store as soon as it was available. And then I'd binge the whole thing because I didn't have HBO. So I'd watch it like each season all at once on DVD. (laughs) Back when I was a kid. Well, not a kid kid, but like in my 20s. (laughs) Yeah, I remember I hadn't seen it. And when I was studying abroad in London, we did not have a DVD player or a VCR in our flat. And I do feel like it would have been more than likely a VCR than a DVD player, because I think DVD players at that time were like only the really rich kids. I don't think they were as commonplace yet. Not Mm -hmm. sure, but we were going to rent whatever the device was and Sex and the City and have a Sex and the City night. But I think we were too poor and cheap to do it. Um, But I had never seen it. I had just heard of it. And it wasn't until probably later in college that I got to binge it. And I do, it is a good guilty pleasure of mine. I do enjoy the old episodes very much, even though they do not age well. Yeah, they don't. There's a lot of actually problematic stuff in there. Yeah, there's a lot of problems. (laughs) You know, people used to talk about like, I'm a Carrie, I'm a Samantha, I'm a Miranda, I'm a Charlotte. Mm -hmm. I know who I think you are. Who do you think you are? Charlotte. Oh, that's who I thought you were too. Okay. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Miranda. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I could see some of that. I'm I'm Miranda. I yeah. Think. Who did you? Who were you going to say? I don't know because I feel like. Hmm. I mean, from a fashion perspective, you would be more of a Carrie because you like more interesting fashion and a little bit bolder. Where um, Miranda does not. No. No. <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, from a close perspective, the wilder, the better. If there's lots of tool and bright colors, I'm into it. Where I would love Charlotte's whole wardrobe from any season. Pick a season, I'll take it. She's classic. She's very, yeah. she's classy and classic. Yes. Well, I watched just the first two episodes of And Just Like That from season two. And I was watching it the other night. And I'm like, there is zero way I could have that show on. And have my kids be home. Like, I would not watch it after they've gone to bed on the off chance that somebody walks down and I can't pause it and exit out fast enough. Which with Sex in the City, there isn't any, you know, the vast majority of it is not graphic to a level where I don't think I could kind of shield what I was watching. But the amount of sex and nudity in and just like that is extreme. And I don't remember if the first season was this bad, but the second season is starting off in a big way. Gosh, I mean, I do know the reviews are awful. I mean, the reviews were awful for season one. I was, and then it got renewed for season two. Like season one, it was like nice to kind of see them back, even though it was kind of hard because they've all they've all aged as you do, and it's different to like try and 
bring them together with who they were and then kind of this different phase of life. So that was harder. But this season just feels so confused. Like they're trying to do too much. And I think the biggest challenge is they all have these other lives and their their friendship doesn't work in the constraints of these other lives. So they've added in all of these side characters, which they did last season, and those are continuing and they're trying to make you care about those side characters, but I don't care about those side characters. I'm not interested in Charlotte's fancy friend, even though I think her character is actually pretty great and she's pretty badass. But like, I don't care about her in this, you know, group of Sex and the City ladies, like, because it was always just the core of them with the occasional side character and they weren't trying to develop other people on the show. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Yeah, well, and it also, I remember back when we watched the original series, they were always going to brunch. They were always going out. Mm -hmm. They were always going to dinner. They were always going on vacation together. And it really does now match age because now it's hard. Like, Laura, I see you maybe once every two months, I would say, in person. And like a lot, some of my other friends that are married with kids. Oh, horrible to try and schedule. It's hardly ever. Like one of my very best friends, two of them, we were on a text chain trying to like pick out when's next time we're going to see each other. One of them was like, mm, September. conversation <laughs> <laughs> we had like back in April. And I was like, oh my God, this is pitiful. Yep. Yeah. So like that's not working for me. And then Miranda is, you know, with her new life, with her new significant other, which fine, but she's going through like, good. I'm glad that her character is following her, her truth and her love and all of those things. But she's going through this whole significant, like she's not a lawyer anymore, but she was always such a passionate career person. And she's just following this person around and she's so lost in this life. And I'm like, I'm just not, I'm not interested in it, but the amount, and I am not a prude at all, but just the amount of sex in this show, just like, it's so much shock value it's too much well the thing i was also thinking about too is miranda has a teenage son did she just leave him yeah wow okay yeah she's off in california with jay who is Um, annoying universally reviled (laughs) as top tier annoying not like my most favorite pick although i don't dislike her the most out of everybody on the show right now like she is kind of toned down because she's getting her own more storyline but yeah it's just I don't I don't get it I don't like it I don't think they should have done it I don't think whoever wrote it understood what people like us would want to see because like what audience are you catering to we already saw them running around in their 20s and dating and having lots of sex and it was like carefully edited which also it's like was it always on HBO? It was yeah. always on HBO. It was always HBO, yeah. What rules have changed on HBO about what you are allowed to show? Because it's very different. I mean, they always push the envelope, but I guess they push it even more now. I mean, I will say the meaning doesn't feel like, because in the past, like a lot of times it was just very sweet. Like there were some really mm-hmm. sweet moments, even though it's a comedy. And I have not watched season two, but season one felt like farcical. The meaning was there or was not there. So I, I don't know. I I will say I don't. I mean, I watched it. I mean, I guess I'll watch season two, some of it, but I, I don't know. It's barely watchable for me. I don't get the enjoyment out of it. And the only thing I remember from season one memorably are two things. Big dying on his Peloton. 
And I don't feel like that's a spoiler because that was everywhere. So I'm just, I'm sorry. If you haven't watched it by now, that's your fault. Yeah. Big dying on the Peloton. And then the thing when Carrie needed help and Miranda was making out with Jay in the kitchen. Well, now it has escalated to within two episodes. I think I have seen Miranda full frontal naked at least three times. It's a lot. Wow. Interesting. (laughs) It's too much. I mean, she's in her post-divorce post phase. I mean. She 100% is. And again, great for the character to like all, all happy for Miranda. But I don't need to see all of it. I don't need to see all of it. It is too much. Too much happening. All I'm not right, okay well, with it. Now we know. I would like to go back to when Miranda had sex with Steve and she always wore a t-shirt. Can we do that? That'd be great. Oh, wow. Times have changed. <laughs> All right. So today, this is a subject I've been thinking about a lot lately. I think Laura's tired of hearing about it because I'm all on this hot kick about it. I want to do an episode and just get it out of my system, but I think it's really good to talk about. Self-care. Self-care has become something that's a little bit of a humorous thing on social media. You see a lot of memes about it, TikToks, things like that. But there's really a lot more to it that we can discuss, and I've gotten all fired up over it lately. I really think women, especially divorced women, could stand to take a look at our self-care routines for a lot of reasons. And I'm about to say some things that maybe you don't expect me to say when I'm talking about self-care. But firstly, I don't think we can have this conversation actually without talking about the origins of the phrase self-care. I didn't know about this until someone kindly educated me on this a few years ago. So I'm going to say this out loud because I think it's really vital that we bring this up. So there is an origin to the phrase self-care. And I bet a decent number of people don't know about this. So self-care actually is a social justice term. It has it was values and community driven, especially in the black community, to take care of your emotional and physical health so you can feel energized for the work of activism and social justice. It was a specific (laughs) care idea to help communities who are in the thick of fighting systemic racism. You'll actually hear about it a lot. It actually fully originated within the Black Panther group that you need to go and take care of yourself so that you can be ready to fight, fighting injustice. Now, this phrase has been co-opted over time to become something very different. But I think it's really important we talk about the root of this phrase because so many things that we use and see, you know, whether it's style or language or words are actually co-opted things. And I think it is useful to like think about where it came from because I know for me, I was like, wow, I had no idea. I had yeah, never heard I didn't that know before. that. Yeah. I feel like white women have completely stolen that. Everything. And, yeah. <laughs> as it goes. Yep. Yeah. So self-care actually started out as a way to keep from getting burnt out as an activist, specifically in the Black community. So that phrase got co-opted to Laura's point by white women, which I think we do need to call that out specifically. And now we most often see it used to refer to things like bubble baths or brunch or facials, things like that, and not marches on Washington, which is what Mm -hmm. it really started out as. Very different from its origins. I do like now try to use a different, I mean, language changes over time. And I know that whether it's co-opted or or whatever happens, but I do try to use a different phrase than self-care or at least raise up where that phrase really came from. Because I know for me, I was totally shocked when I found this out. I had no idea. So today, so we've covered that. So, you know, a little bit of history for us to learn about, but today we're going to talk about how divorced moms really a lot of people can take care of themselves better in a more general way. So let's talk about some of the challenges people are dealing with. We've got a lot, you know, first and foremost, 
the impact of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, which is more uh, more in the social justice realm and human rights. Other things that people are dealing with that may require you to take care of yourself. Maybe you're recovering from a big life event like divorce or infertility, abuse, trauma, or even something smaller. Like maybe you just had a tough breakup and you really are feeling kind of bruised and battered and needing to take care of yourself. Other things, daily stress. And I know I've got this, or I know you have this, and I bet you almost every single person listening to this has daily stress, whether it's an overpacked schedule, career pressure, relationship stress, health issues, parenting issues, all those things that, you know, keep us up at night and keep us worried and trying to keep all the balls in the air. And then lastly, things like mental issues or physical health issues. Those are things that may require us to take maybe a little extra, extra careful care of ourselves. I would say another point that is important to call out is those parents who are single parenting and solo parenting the whole time. Because I do understand the balance that often when we talk about things that we do for ourselves, it's because we have 50-50 custody and we do have that extra time. And there are a lot of parents out there who do not have, have that type of arrangement. Yeah. Laura and I call ourselves divorced moms, not single moms, because there is a difference. There's a difference between, you know, we do have co-parents and there are plenty of parents out there that they never get a break ever, ever. And so we do want to call that out. Everybody has their own situation they're dealing with. I mean, maybe you're listening to this and you're actually married or partnered, you know, but you have your own other kinds of stress. You know, it's not a competition. We all have different things going on, but I think it is good to be aware of the differences. You know, everyone's situation is different with unique needs. You know, getting personal, what are some of the challenges that you deal with, Laura? I mean, definitely career, three very busy children. I'm learning that as children get older, they don't get easier. It just gets different. Um, You don't, you're not getting up and changing diapers and making bottles, but you are taking them to a bunch of activities and answering hard questions (laughs) and there's a lot happening. So that keeps me very, very busy. Um, And, you know, I think the other thing that I think about a lot is trying to be financially smart but also making sure that the kids and I have enriching experiences, um, which means sometimes I'm not often, I'm not very good about managing my budget in that way because I want to make sure that we have those vital experiences. And that's always something that I grapple with. Yeah. I I think my, I have two biggest challenges. I think one is over being Mm overscheduled. We have a very full life here, grad school, kids, work, and no backup. You know, I don't have a nanny. I don't have childcare. I've actually yep. never hired a babysitter ever in my That's life. That's wild to me. I know. I need to try. I think I just like, I'm so nervous. Like that. I, now it's like when you wait too long to do something and it just gets harder and harder. Now I'm like super scared to hire a babysitter. I should just do it and like go to Starbucks for an hour or two and then like just baby steps. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I think because we always had like in-house nannies for care until daycare, until they were old enough for daycare, that you just get used to having people in your house watching for your kids that you know well. So I just have one very lovely babysitter. I think I would have a harder time now just having a bunch of new ones. But like if you have one person you like, it's pretty nice. I should probably try that out. But for me, it's being overscheduled. I have so much going on and I my stress is pretty high. I mean, sometimes Laura can see me or I'll tell her. I have like right now I have a sty on my eye that's from stress and I've actually broken out with some cold source <laughs> from stress, you know, and that, that happens to me because I just have too much going on. 
Um, and then I also, I mean, I have anxiety and depression and sometimes I really have to take a step back. Like for the next month, I actually made a decision. I'm not making hardly any additional social dates, you know, anything like that, other than seeing my boyfriend, things I've already committed to, because I just need to dial it down. That's my way of taking care of myself is dialing it down a little bit. Now, when it comes to divorce people, what in general are some of the biggest issues you think divorce people deal with? I think financial stress is a huge one because we know that divorce can really impact you significantly financially. That's hard for people to come back from. And then you're managing a household financially on your own huge. And then the fact that there's no division of labor in the household anymore. If it is all you for everything from waiting for the person to come repair something in your house to managing the car, shuttling the kids when you have them, grocery shopping, cooking, clean, all of it is you or paying someone to do it if you have to. Like it's a lot. And then I think also there's just a lot of stigmas that can often come with being divorced that can feel really challenging to navigate socially, things like that. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think what I would also, I would add on two things, mental, mental stress, you know, cause there's so much changing, mm-hmm. like really your entire life has gotten ripped apart at the seams. And so that causes a lot of mental anxiety. So I think a lot of divorced people are dealing with that. And then secondarily, I would add on self-esteem. I think your self-esteem takes a, a real nosedive because someone's paying mm-hmm. a lot of money to not be with you anymore. Yeah. Feel very good, even if you know it's the right thing. It's like, oh, this person's paying so much money, so they don't have to live with me anymore. That doesn't feel good. So those are all things that like make you a person that needs to take care of yourself, right? So I have a new mantra that I actually have been saying a lot as I've been talking to divorced friends, especially in dark days. Because I think a lot of times when you hear the term self care, you'll see like pictures of a candle or a bubble bath or you know, long walks. And while those are all good and all that, sometimes caring for yourself gets marketed that way, you know, manicures and, and things like that. When really self-care can be more about flossing, getting your mammograms and for dark days, daters using protection and birth control. It's actually taking care of yourself. It's not the performative stuff like bubble baths and manicures and pedicures, which those are enjoyable things to do. There are also things that I feel like a lot of people we know that are divorced don't do. They don't take care of themselves. I know so mm-hmm. many women who don't use protection, aren't even on birth control. And guess what? Some bad things have happened as a result, <laughs> yeah. you know, and sometimes like loving yourself are, are those things going to the doctor, getting your eyes checked, taking care of yourself in a real way. And to me, this really brings home the fact that we often focus on, we prioritize all the wrong things instead of the areas that are actually most important, like going to therapy, working on things that are not serving you anymore, making your life better. That's really what taking care of yourself is all about. So this mantra that self-care is less about manicures and pedicures and more about flossing and mammograms has really led me to start addressing uh, poor self-esteem, which I think is something that's pretty widespread. If you look at your actions as a divorced person and you are dating for attention and validation, if you're betraying yourself, if you're giving up things that are important to you for a date, for that chance of love, if you're getting yourself into bad situations, that's probably a good sign that you have a lot of work to do on your self-esteem. And I think learning to make healthy choices, uh, for me, this is also something that was a big lesson I had to learn. I used to be so hard on myself because I kept getting into bad situations. I kept making bad choices. I kept going out 
with men that weren't right for me and they were hurting me and I was crying all the time. I used to be so hard on myself. It's like, oh, my brain knows what I should do, but I just can't do it. I, I can't let go. I don't feel like I can make these healthy choices. And a light bulb went off for me one day when I realized learning to make healthy choices is more of a journey. It's more of a muscle that you strengthen and it's less of a switch. For most people, I think it actually takes a very long time to consistently choose yourself, to consistently love yourself, to consistently stay true to the things that you want and need and be less fearful, to be less of a gambler. Like, oh, I just know he has the potential to be a great guy, even though he's making me cry every day. I don't screw with that anymore. You know, and I think that takes time. So that's something I also say to people when you're feeling hard on yourself, it just takes time. It's a muscle you need to grow, like going to the gym and eventually you will get there as long as you're, as long as you're taking steps in the right direction, they can be small steps, but just make sure you're going in the right direction towards loving yourself and you're going to get better and better and better at it. I think your brain knows what to do before your heart gets very good at it. So go easy on yourself, practice, you'll get better and better at it. How do you feel your self-esteem or what's your journey through self-esteem been like for you, Laura? I mean, definitely, I would say the end of my marriage, it was pretty terrible. And during that divorce time frame was really, really rough, as I think it is for most people. That's a, it's just, that's a, that's a tough, a tough time. Um, but I think a lot of what was happening too was just, I didn't really know myself at that point. And so I've been able to spend the last few years of really like figuring myself out in really big ways. And I think when you do that and you know, kind of hone in in that way, then ideally your self-esteem does rise because you're figuring out the things that make you happy and, you know, are fulfilling and you're, you know, everything kind of shifts with that. Yeah, I know my self-esteem has actually been a lifelong struggle for me. And the funny thing is, I think I actually project a lot of confidence. Like, I I feel like most people would be surprised to say self-esteem has been a struggle with me. But if you look at the choices I've made in my life, I think it's pretty clear. Even though I come off as a confident person, some of the choices I've made really weren't to my benefit and hurt me in a lot of ways. And I think it was because I was so hungry for love and attention and validation you know, and so it's something I've really had to work really hard on, especially with men. And I think I've compromised myself at times or accepted situations that were actively bad for me. I mean, I think both you and I have done that. And it's really hard when you have friends that love you and care about you. It's hard to watch them make those choices mm-hmm. over and over again. I actually, think that's one of the hardest things for a friend to watch because you want to support them. You know, it takes time, but it's hard. And I'm sure you were like sad at times. Some of the choices I was making, just like I was also sad for you. I don't know. I I don't have anything like big to say about that other than I realize for the friend it's hard, but it's also hard for you, you know, when you're trying to get better and better. Yeah. Okay. I think also for us, it kind of takes one to know one. Like we, we understand where the other person is at often. And so it's hard to witness that, but we also understand what that journey is like and we know how hard it is. Yeah. Well, I think at a certain point, you kind of become a cheerleader. Like, come on, come on, you can do it. Say no to that jerk. Please say no to that jerk. Block him. Block him. You said you blocked him. Why are you still talking to him? It's a waste of your time. You're better than this, you know, and that's kind of what it gets to, but that's all right. That's part of being a friend. And so as, you know, as something that's practical, what are some good ways to improve caring for your mind and emotions that you've learned that have been helpful to you? I mean, I think we both agree on this therapy. Very important. 
more. I think everybody should have a therapist. I laugh that my therapist really likes Tyler and Tyler's therapist really likes me. And that's just based on what they hear in sessions. And they're like a big fan. Both of our therapists agree that our relationship is great. Like, cool. Um, But I do think that therapy just, it just makes sense to, if you have the resources to have a therapist, I think it's so important. I think also having a strong circle of people in your corner, and that can be one really close friend or a group of friends. It doesn't have to be a million people cheering for you and listening to you, but just knowing that you have some individuals in your life who um, are, you know, paying attention and that you can share with um, is super important. And then I think the other piece, and again, we harp on this constantly, but like finding your healthy outlet, a workout, a craft you like to do, something that is your own, that makes you feel great. And that's your personal thing, I think is really important. I think especially as parents, because we can really get lost in all of the things that our kids have going on. And I think it's, for me, it's been so valuable to have the things that are just mine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. On the therapy front, I will say, I think it's really great to have a neutral party that you can actually talk openly with. Mm -hmm. No matter what, your friends and family love you or your partner, they love you. They have skin in the game. Like they can't be neutral. It's impossible. And I think it's really helpful to have that professional who's fully neutral and you're actually paying them to like give it to you straight. And it relieves pressure. Something that I didn't realize until a few years ago is having a therapist relieves pressure on your regular relationships. Cause then you're not going to all your friends with every little thing that's going on. Yeah. You're, I mean, your friends don't have to be your fixers. Like they shouldn't be your fixers. That should not be their role in your life. Like your therapist is the one that you work things out with and make a plan. And your friends are the ones who you discuss that plan with. Well, my therapist suggested I should do this. Like that is a healthy relationship. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I was in a romantic relationship for a while where they did not have a therapist and they were coming to me with everything. And it felt like everything they were having trouble with, it was all on me to deal with. And it was too much. Like we, lo- we broke up over it. We lost our relationship. Cause I was like, there's we're we don't have a relationship here other than you are clearly having a really hard time and using mm-hmm. me as your therapist, except I'm not a therapist. And this is just, you know, and I, and I saw things differently after that. I was like, Oh, that's why I need a therapist. Cause it's not fair for me to be talking things out with my friends all the time. Like that's not mm-hmm. the, to your point. That's not their role. And it's actually not good for your relationship either. Now, the other thing, and this is going to sound so basic, but it is actually so true. Simple things like this are real self-care, rest, hydration, moving your body. Those are things that are actually really good for your mental health. Sometimes you think you're you're like totally sick. No, you just were thirsty or you were hungry or you need to take a break. Like little things like that can really reset you in a great way, which then brings me to caring for our bodies. So somewhere along the line, we started equating healthy and good for you with punishment. Like people, Laura and I have encountered this and we've actually talked about this on the podcast before. We, Laura and I both have things that we love to do. Well, I I don't know. I have a hard time calling myself an athlete, but I work out very regularly. I truly enjoy it. And I know you do too, Laura. And it makes both of us really sad. I feel comfortable speaking on your behalf on this front. <laughs> when we meet people that say things like, oh, I've got to go work out. Oh, I can't. I don't want to go to the gym. To, you know, like saying things like working out is a punishment. Because mm-hmm. that's not how either of us feel. And we also feel like, why don't you find something that you enjoy? And somehow I think eating healthy food and working out somehow became equated with punishment and torture and something you have to do rather than something you get to do. 
which is really unfortunate because I think loving your body should not turn into just one more way to shame yourself, you know, in a society where women are, are, and I'm talking about women here or female bodies where there's already a scrutiny on us about how we look. We have to be a certain size and certain parts of our body have to look a certain way. And that's just really unfortunate. So now we're doing it to ourselves too, beating up on ourselves. And I would really love to encourage people to try to reframe your thinking. And Laura, you've actually taught me a lot about this because I think I used to kind of be like that where I was so hard on myself, hard on my body and like criticizing it instead of, you know, more embracing the idea of being strong. I don't need to be skinny. I need to be strong. I need to be healthy. I need to move my body. And it's not about fitting into society's idea of what your body should look like, but about what makes you feel good. What do you like to do to move your body? And think about it that way instead of punishing yourself. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I've gone to the other side where I would rather go to the gym than skip it. And I would rather like eat my boring food at home than like go out. And it's not from like a punishment piece. I'm like, it is legitimately just what makes me feel good. <laughs> like I'm yeah. happy to stay in that place where like, it just makes me feel better. And I like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I going to the gym is my treat. I actually look forward to it. I enjoy it. I'm that person that takes gym selfies because I'm enjoying where I'm at and what I'm doing and the accomplishments I'm making and getting stronger. And I love it. I mean, that's another way to care for your body. Again, going back to how do you care for yourself, moving your body, eating healthy, giving yourself the nutrients you need. That's a way to care for yourself. And it is actually important. I actually think this is a really tough one for divorced moms, though. We are so short on time. We are managing so many things. And a lot of times we don't have backup. And so taking care of our bodies can often come last. I just learned about something that I think is really cool. And I didn't know I was already doing this. <laughs> it's called habit stacking, which is when you focus on one small, achievable, healthy habit at a time. So instead of like trying to change your whole life and like biting off more than you can chew, just pick one thing, like get 10,000 steps five days a week or something. Pick one small thing. And just focus on that. Going to bed by 10. You know, how much you're drinking, what you're eating, going to the gym. You don't do it all at once, but habit stack it. Like maybe for one month, pick one of them, see how it goes. And the next month, add another one. Um, and then once you've got the first one well in hand, you can go, you can move on to your second habit, your third and your fourth. It's sustainable. I do it. It really works for me. And huge swinging changes are often coming from a place of being reactive. So it just never works out. You know, it's something like, it's why resolutions never pan out because people are trying to totally become another person like on a dime and you can't do that. Yeah. You go so big that it all of a sudden you realize like, it's just not achievable in that one big move. And then you just like dial down from doing anything. Yeah. You go the exact opposite. Yeah. Just do something small and, and there's no race here and no one's like criticizing you or grading you on how fast you get it done. Let's be reasonable here. So some other things to think about when you're caring for your body. If you are a human with boobs, get them checked once a year. That's self-care. Floss. This is my fatal flaw. I grew up with a tortured dentist, so I never took good care of my teeth until I was an adult. And na even now, I hate the dentist. It's my most hated place. I just like die the whole time I'm there. Laura and I had the same dentist, by the way, and she's lovely. This is all like my past trauma. 
All right. Something else that I think is a big deal. And we kind of alluded to this before negative self-talk about your bodies. Women are really bad about this. Yeah. I think women too can't let themselves hear a compliment. If someone makes like a, a neutral, like normal, like compliment, like, oh, you look great in those jeans for like from a friend or a friend, like nothing salacious, just like a nice compliment. Oh, well, well, and then we like turn in, we'd like say something negative about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's so hard to just like hear something positive. Yeah. I mean, I know at this point I physically cringe when I hear people talking shit about their own bodies or someone else's. Everybody's a good body, no matter what it looks like. Like, seriously, stop. <laughs> I have this new rule that anytime I hear someone saying bad things about their body or someone else's, I actually say something about it. I don't just like go along with it. I, I know in the past I've said things to people like, oh, I just got this great workout. I'm really proud. I benched this amount of weight. And they'd be like, oh, but your body looks fine just the way it is. It's like, no, that's not what I mean. I'm proud of my accomplishments at the gym. Like people need to stop equating weight loss as being like, it's not disconnect that, please. Because it really drives me nuts because I love to work out. I love to eat healthy. I actually, actually, for real, love doing those things. It's not because I hate the way my body looks at all whatsoever. And I don't have the perfect body. My body is very normal looking and I'm totally fine with that. I think we need to stop linking what our bodies look like with self-worth. And also your kids are listening and they're Mm going to take their own body image thoughts from you. I have a rule. I don't ever talk about losing weight or a diet. I don't think I've ever said those words in front of my kids ever. I do talk about, I want to get as strong as possible. I love going to the gym. I want to be healthy. I want to move my body. Those are the, some, some of the terms that I use. Yeah. Or I, I explain it to my kids because I work from home now and I used to, for years, commuted in the city on public transportation. So I was moving my body a lot just by nature of what my daily life looked like. Now I work from home. So I tell my kids, I'm like, if I don't make it a priority to go for a run over lunch or go to boot camp or whatever it is, sometimes I take them with me to boot camp and they kind of cringe over it. And I'm like, but I have been sitting all day. Like I need to move my body in the way that you have been moving your body all day. Like just as a human being, I need to be able to do that. And it's so important. Well, and what I love too, is I feel like we have a relationship too, where within our group chat between Laura and Kristen and I, we all have different things we love to do in working out. But what I think is really great, you really don't hear any of us talk about, oh, I want to be skinny. Oh, I, I feel so, I don't think any of us have ever said, trigger warning, when he, like the what I'm about to say, they, I don't think we've ever said anything like, oh, I feel so fat. Like those, we don't talk like that. And Mm -hmm. honestly, like I used to when I was younger, like I couldn't be small enough in my Mm twenties. I couldn't be small enough. And now I'm proud to be strong and capable. And I feel pretty good about that. Yep. Okay. So in terms of moving our bodies and kind of started this conversation, Laura, we have a lot of thoughts on this subject. What are some things you'd like to say? Yeah. It's funny because I was never somebody who like felt like they needed to work out and not from like a health perspective, but like, you know, some people are like, Oh, they get really antsy if like they haven't gotten their workout in. Cause they're used to that's part of their routine. Right. And that never fully was something that I resonated with because when I was younger, it was absolutely work out as hard as you can to be as thin as you can. And that was your only goal. How much cardio can I do? How little can I eat? That was what my twenties were because oh my that God. is but that's what it it was at that yeah. time, like I feel like, and that was just such a big focus. So I never understood this, like, 
I will feel great if I do this. So I want to do it again and again, right? It was just always a means to an end. And now that has flipped for me. I get antsy if I haven't gotten a workout in because I want to move my body and do things. And it just makes me feel great. You know, now it's like pulling myself back in a bit. It's like, hi, you can't because I'm training for the marathon. It's like, well, you can't go to boot camp and go for a run today because I was doing that a couple of weeks ago and I crashed hard because I'm doing too much. So like trying to course correct that has been interesting. Um, but for me, the biggest thing is that adrenaline rush from a good workout. Like, I think that's better than any drug. I love that feeling. I will call Tyler after a great workout and I am like a mile a minute and I'll catch myself like, I'm sorry, I'm on a complete workout high right now. I feel so good because you just notice it and it feels great. Well, yeah. And moving my body has actually been two things. One it's made my body feel really good, but it's also been so good for my mental health. For me, I'm always some of my emotions go into my body. Like I think I mentioned before that right now I have a breakout happening on my face because of stress, because I don't necessarily like get mad or emote when I'm upset. It all goes into my body and you can like see it. So for me, working out and moving my body is a great way for me to process my emotions. And so if I don't work out, like if I haven't worked out for several days in a row, you can tell in my mood, like I'm just antsy. Mm -hmm. I can't sit still. I don't feel good. I'm cranky. It's one of those things where I kind of remove myself from public because I don't feel like I'm fit for public consumption. But that's the other thing too. Like it's just about so much more. It should be about so much more than I think what it was to me in my twenties, which as you said, how much can I work out and how little can I eat to be as small and tiny Mm -hmm. as possible, which just makes me so sad now. I wasted a whole decade thinking that way. Ugh, gross. Yeah. So another body, and I am so hot on this one, and this is especially relevant for post-divorce daters. Most people that are just post, you know, that are right after leaving their marriage, there's something called the post-divorce hoe phase, which Mm -hmm. if you're married, you may not know about this, but it's a real thing where people go nuts. They just date a lot. They sleep with a ton of people. Not everybody does it, but a lot of people do. And because their self-esteem is so low and they're kind of not in the best mental spot, they don't use condoms. Some of them aren't on birth control. And it's really unhealthy. And actually, post-divorce daters are hot spots for STIs and unplanned pregnancy. Things happen. And I'm not saying that like when stuff happens that it's your fault. That's not what I mean. But what I do think is that do everything you can to try to prevent these things because it just people don't we don't want to deal with this stuff if we can avoid it as much as we can. And if you're someone who is very active in the dating world, you do you, but please use protection. Please. I know Laura and I have actually heard a ton of stories from listeners who have gotten an STI or unplanned pregnancy or both, you know, all of it. And so that's just why I get real, real mommy about this, I guess. Use protection, use birth control and get in. I don't know if everyone knows this, but you can get the Gardasil vaccine. So it's not just for 18 year olds anymore. So talk to your doctor if you don't already, if you haven't already gotten Gardasil, you can get it. It's now approved for women, I think up to 45 or even 50. Ask your doctor. They'll be able to tell you. So if you walk away with one piece of advice today, this is it. Some some statistics. I can't say that word either. (laughs) Some statistics to keep in mind on this, just because this is how serious I am. Newly divorced middle-aged women 
are actually more vulnerable to contract HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases. This is according to a major study that I read. And this is because they tend to let their guard down with new sexual partners and they avoid using protection because they are unafraid of getting pregnant. Because maybe they were married for 20 years and never got pregnant. And then all of a sudden you have a whoops baby with someone you met two days ago. That happens. And this was from a study out, out of the University of Pennsylvania. The unintended pregnancy rate is significantly higher in the United States than in many other developed countries, I think, because we've got a lot of ego here in this country and think it can't happen to us. And then separated, divorced, and widowed women have the highest contraceptive failure rate, 26% hmm. across all age groups. That's more than high school and college, y'all. And then 23% of unplanned pregnancies occur within the 30 to 44 age bracket. That's significant. Yeah, just so y'all know, we're not making this up. <laughs> That's why I'm sharing these today. All right, so getting personal, what are some things that you feel like you do really well or things that you need to work on to take better care of yourself? Well, I don't sleep nearly enough. Last night, I woke up on my sofa at 2 a.m. Um, so I sleep in the wrong places as well. <laughs> um, I don't feed myself well, which is something that I'm trying to work on. I have meal prepped the past two weeks, which has been a really nice game changer. You've been talking about, I'm a huge meal prepper. I have prepped my meals for probably the last 15 years and you've been talking about this and I have been so curious to see how it's going for you. If you like it, or if it's driving you nuts. But I've noticed I've I've noticed this in you that you were trying this out and seeing how it goes. I hate cooking. If I can spend the least amount of time in the kitchen, I will do that. Um, so that's why, like, even though meal prepping technically is a better time investment because you do it all at once and you prep out the meals. But I I tend to just lean on cooking up some chicken and some sweet potatoes and having that for the week, which is not really meal prepping. It's just like lazy eating. Um, so I'm trying to be more better about planning, but so far I'm on my second week and I've just repeated the same thing from last week. Cause I'm like, well, I liked it. I can also eat the same things on repeat for forever, um, which is good and bad. So I'm like, I'll probably make this for the rest of the summer because I'm lazy. All in all, I'm lazy and hate to cook. So it is a challenge, but I'm trying to do a better job about feeding myself and not just buying the foods that my kids like. And then I don't have anything for me, which is where I get stuck a lot. Um, as I tell my kids, groceries are very expensive <laughs> and then, um, you know, putting my kids first and myself last. And so obviously like I work to shift that. And I think I actually do. If, if I talk about a strength, I think I do that well in finding that balance, which I struggled with when my kids were younger. And when I was married, quite honestly, I was always last of everybody. Um, and in my divorce life, I'm able to prioritize myself in the right ways where I have the things that make me happy. The kids see me prioritizing in that way as well. And we talk about doing things for each other. And you come with me to this same because I take you to your baseball game and your ice skating and your swim and all of these other activities. This is the one thing that I ask you to do for me. So I think I've been doing a good job of switching that pendulum a little bit. What about you? I think for me, I have kind of a study in extremes. I do not think I'm good at taking care of my mental health. I overschedule myself chronically. I need to say no more. And I'm proud of myself. I mentioned this for the next month. I've decided I'm not taking on any more social engagements. Laura, Laura and I were talking about something and I showed her my calendar. I was like, 
I actually don't have anything going on for the next month for the most part, which is really a big deal for me. That's probably the first time since I can remember that that's happened. So I I am trying to do better there. I also am terrible at getting myself enough sleep because I just think it's like 10 o'clock at night. It's like, wow, I haven't had any time for myself. And I really want to spend some time with my best friend, the phone, (laughs) you know, because that's it. I'm like, it's 10 o'clock at night. The night is just starting. The night's young. And Tyler will be like, go to bed because he goes to bed so early because he wakes up early. And I'm like, no, I'm going to hold down the board over here on the sofa. I'll let you know if anything interesting happens. Boyfriend does not help me with the, on that front because he stays up even later than I do. Oh. He sleeps in even later than I do. So oh, gosh. He, he's more of a night owl than I am. I think he would be fully nocturnal if he could be. So he's not helpful in terms <laughs> as a role model on that front. I do think though, I do a really good job of taking care of my body. I really do. And I'm not saying my body is like perfect because it's not, but I take good care of it and I feel good. I move, I've been on my workout routine consistently. I just started weightlifting, but I've been consistent with it since October. So for the last quite a bit of time, I've been very consistent about it. I am really good at moving my body and taking care of it on that front. Then meal prepping, I prep healthy meals. I actually spent a morning prepping freezer meals and it was six weeks worth of food. I haven't cooked since then. Can I just pay you to do mine? Well, I'm actually going to boyfriend's house this weekend and I'm teaching him how to do it. We're going to spend all, we're going to spend all day cooking him a bunch of freezer or prepping a bunch of freezer meals and we're stocking his freezer. So actually I could perform that service for you as well. Okay. We can talk. You just have to pay me with the beer. All right. Now to wrap up, I would actually love to challenge everyone. I'm going to give everyone a little challenge, challenge to myself, to you, Laura, anyone else that's listening today, do something good for yourself today. And, you know, maybe it's a bubble bath or iced coffee and that's nice. I'm talking about make that doctor's appointment you've been putting off, you know, go for a walk, go to bed early, do one good thing for yourself that's actually taking care of your mental health or your body and let us know how it goes. And then lastly, I want to say, and this is harkening back to how we, where we started, which was the origin of the phrase self-care. I have made a donation to the Loveland Foundation, which is a group that helps provide therapy to black women and girls. This is a quote from their website. With the barriers affecting access to treatment by members of diverse ethnic and racial groups, the Loveland Therapy Fund provides financial assistance to black women and girls seeking therapy nationally. I'm making this donation in honor of the origins of where the phrase self-care came from. And I would love to encourage any listeners out there to please do the same. It's a great organization that deserves our support for sure. We will link their website in the show notes for you to see. All right. Thanks, everybody. I hope you go out and do something good for yourself. Let us know how it goes. Thank you. Hi. Still thirsty? You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Thirsty the Podcast. Share this show with your community. Rate, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.